Well, we record these sober and in the morning, and we get them done in like an hour and a half. It's yeah. kind of, I mean, that that's, I mean, it's a little bit less fun, but uh, <laughs> it's it's probably a better show in some ways. I don't know. Mm. We also didn't go for like 30 minutes and talk about like random nonsense and piss off right. Mike Murphy. So, yeah. <laughs> the following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, welcome back to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. We're at episode 96 now, and I'm your host, Lee Russell, joined by my co-host, Daniel Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm not addicted to heroin, if that helps. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I haven't leaked a toilet bowl this week. Yeah, uh, but you do live in a, in a country that's uh, rife with helpless, oppressive corruption, though. Yes, yes, and yeah. uh, lots of prostitutes, lots of pretty lots. young blonde prostitutes. <laughs> oh, only over here. What we have to do is we have we have to prostitute ourselves for uh, basic health care as opposed to uh, you know high end drugs. Oh yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're back. We're still on our crime film kick. We're going to be looking at two Poliziotesquis again this time out. Before we get into that, we do have some comments to get through, so I'll try to. Skirt through these really quick. On our White Heat and Night and the City episode, we have CB Fall chiming in saying amazingly interesting reviews on both movies. Mike Murphy from Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts, who's going to be on this show in a few episodes, said, I enjoyed this one, boys. I need to take the noir dive. It's a genre film I know little about. Yeah, I might actually get back to you on that, Mike, see if I can find some uh, noirs that sort of fit the more trashy stuff that uh, you guys cover on uh, BBNBC. See if you can uh, work some of the stuff into you into your actual show. That'd be fun. Sure. Well, some of the uh, 70s, I mean, some of the two movies we're covering today would kind of fit into the BBNBC mythos. And, yeah. Uh, yet, kind of have a noirish feel. Certainly, uh, The Police Serve the Citizens does. Uh, mm-hmm. As a strong noirish film, but that's a uh, '70s and Italian as opposed to you know American <laughs> and. Uh, but yeah, no, I would love to. I would love to uh, listen to those guys do some uh, straight up noir sometime. Well, I can't remember if they've done it or not. Uh, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, because that's that's a straight up basically just gore movie with noir uh, kind of trappings. And our friend Jack Graham says, "I met Googie Withers. I was backstage at Wyndham's Theater in London meeting." Jeremy Brett and Edward Hardwick, who were doing The Secret of Sherlock Holmes and In Walks Gookie Withers. True story. That's awesome. Yeah. He didn't he didn't go on. Uh, yeah. he didn't. <laughs> I mean I mean I would imagine I would imagine I mean he obviously he slept with her, right? Like yeah. we just assume that happened. Um, I'm kinda of thinking that's how the story ended, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just he's just protecting the uh, the lady's honor. Yeah. That's what I can I can understand that, you know. Yeah, but you know Jack Graham doesn't walk in. You're not you're not behind the theater with Jack Graham and not have sex with him. That's just how it goes. Yeah, 
I mean, every time we podcast with him, our panties drop to the floor. So, I mean... My panties drop to the floor when you're around. And when the two of you, it's just like, you know, might as well just... Uh, you know, there's just no hope for me. Yeah. It's a curse. It's a curse. Um, <laughs> you're, you're like that guy in Hamburger the Movie. The lead in Hamburger the Movie. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have to turn women down. Yeah, it's, it's so terrible. And I got some feedback on the Blood on the Tracks episode I did. Ryan Egan, who's a member from the Facebook group, by the way, they must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Join up in the group if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing. He said, I enjoyed this immensely, Lee. I used to be a disc jockey in my college days. This is quite an excellent show. I'm so glad that you love the soundtrack to Sorcerer as much as I do. I can't wait to hear more of these wonderful film scores. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I know that was a good episode. And you know what the best thing about it was? I wasn't on it. <laughs> but we will be working you and Paul into some of these for sure in the future. Although it'll be interesting to see how we do that. We're going to have to maybe like each come together with playlists and stuff. And There's there's more pre-recording and then stuffing it in between music than uh, what we do here on, on They Must Be Destroyed on Site, so... Yeah, this is this is basically just I get to hang out with Lee once a week and talk about movies, mm. and do a varying amount of work ahead of time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, at the end of the month, the next episode of Blood on the Tracks is going to be all black exploitation stuff. So uh, look forward to that. Nice. Yeah, and uh, now we can move on to what we've watched in the last little while. Uh, I know you don't have anything, Daniel, so I'll just briefly mention what I have been watching. Don't really have any new movies to mention, but I have been binge watching uh, Better Call Saul on uh, Netflix. Oh, nice! It, yeah, that was the that? first. How are you? How are you finding it? I really enjoy it. Uh, I almost kind of enjoy it more than uh, Breaking Bad, actually. I heard that a lot. I have not pulled the trigger on that one yet. Uh, it's on my you know to watch list, but then again, I didn't catch up with Breaking Bad until after it'd been out for five years. So I figure I still got a few years to uh, you know get caught up with the Better Call yeah. Saul. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, I've heard that I've heard that it's a very different show. That it, that it's uh, much it's, less sort of thematically weighted, and, a yeah. and more kind of you know straightforward and character based. Yeah, it's it's more of a character study kind of thing. It's it's a bit more lightweight. You know, it's not as deadly serious as Breaking Bad almost always is. Right. Um, and I mean, Bob Odenkirk's just fucking excellent in it i think what's really attractive about this is since we've just been doing so many crime films and we've been like looking at sleazy characters in noir you know the the little scumbag type of people and who, who tend to populate these films i mean saul is just straight up one of those characters he's just in a you know a modern context that we uh don't have in, in most of the movies we've watched so yeah it, it, it's it's fun to just sort of there's almost an element of curb your enthusiasm. There's almost an element of that to it. Because, well, it's it's Bob Odenkirk, and it's really yeah. amazing that he's gotten this sort of late career resurgence as this character. Just because, I mean, it's just it's really nice to see because, you know, Mister Show was a while ago now, and and he, he seemed to never really find another thing that was his mm. that could really like showcase him. But he's so good in this, and I think I remember something like he was. Like, they just sort of asked him. They didn't think he'd say yes, and they only thought it was going to be for, like, an episode mm -hmm. or a couple of episodes, and then it ends up being this because he's so good, you know? Um, but that's how they made Breaking Bad. It was very, um, you know, very little of that was really planned out. <laughs> More yeah. than a few episodes ahead, you know, for, for much of the runtime of that. 
it was all very organic, so it makes sense. Uh, but after after watching the first two seasons that are on Netflix, I, I actually it made me go back and watch Breaking Bad just so I could catch the episodes with him on it. And sure. I've been doing that now. It's a seamless sort of transition. Like he just shifts over from the more lighthearted comical stuff in in the actual Saul series and somehow still makes that character work on Breaking Bad when he's just that character should not work on Breaking Bad, but it does really well. And I was, it just made me appreciate the performance even more after after watching the first two seasons. So yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, I'll have to catch up with that sometime soon. It's a it's an easy binge too. It's only ten episodes a uh, season, so it's oh nice, it's not yeah. bad. Yeah, no, my wife could never get into Breaking Bad, so I've been trying to not watch stuff that she doesn't like around her. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, one one of these days I'll catch up with it. Uh, I'd love to chat about it sometime. Right on. Okay, so we're going to take a quick little break, and then when we come back, we're going to look at our first film, The Police Serve the Citizens, question mark. And... <laughs> <laughs> full of them. From low-budget crap fests to downright unwatchable. And only two men are willing to watch them all. So climb in and take your seat. This is Short Bus Cinema. Let's do it. Hey everyone, this is Johnny Krug from Kruger Nation. And this is Rick Morgan from the Helming Power Hour. And we have decided to team up and take you where no one has gone before. We're on a quest to find the world's worst movie, and we're doing it on the bus. Driving through cult classics in every genre to find the holy grail of bad movies. So if you're looking for something different and more fun than you can stand, then climb on in. Short Bus Cinema is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. That's right, yo! Short Bus Cinema. We'd love to watch the movies you hate. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, signing off. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, it's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? 
the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How be did a rough you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Okay, The Police Serve the Citizens from 1973, directed by Romolo Gureri. I. I'm not even going to... All I know is he's the uncle of uh, Enzo Castellari, oddly enough. So, uh, oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, and I actually do know another movie of his, uh, Johnny Yuma from 1966, which is almost kind of a proto-spaghetti western. It's got some of those elements to it, but it's not quite a full-blown spaghetti western like we'd see from Leone and uh, everything else afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I do know his work. Written by Massimo Dorita, who, at this point, I'm starting to think he wrote every fucking film that came out of Italy, because uh, that name has popped up in several of our episodes now. It is starring Enrico Maria Salerno as Commissioner Nicola Cerrone. Interesting note about this uh, gentleman, he actually did all the voice work for Clint Eastwood on the Italian version of Sergio Leone's uh, Dollar Trilogy. So, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and he's also just a really well-known Italian actor, too. Did all a ton of shit. <laughs> Giuseppe Pamberi as Commissioner Marino. John Steiner as Lambro. Venantino Venantini as Mancinelli. Alessandro Momo is as Michelle Cerrone. Uh, Mimo Carento as Baron. Uh, Marie-Sophie Prisson as Christina. Daniel Galin as Pierre Pialo Barrera, Gabriella Giorgelli as Eros the Prostitute, and Enzo Labridi as Green Grocer. And uh, I'll let you get into a synopsis there, Daniel. Sure. Well, uh, this one was a little bit difficult because I didn't really have the energy to the time to write one. Um, and there's not really a lot that's available on the internet for this. Yeah. Um, the description you find if you Google this title in English is just... In Genoa, the Commissioner Cerrone has identified the leader of a ferocious racket that controls the port activities, but the law restrains his action. That's all you get. Yeah. Um, I did, just now, as I considered it while you were talking, Google the film's Italian Wikipedia page, which, if you translate the Italian, it does have a fairly involved plot synopsis, which is actually too long to read here. <laughs> um, but basically what you do is you've got this sort of um, plot involving this uh, police inspector who is going up against the mob and is thwarted at all turns by corruption and a bureaucracy the first half of the film is pretty straightforwardly just kind of the guy going after these dudes and then kind of the second half it converts into something that's a little bit more personality based because it turns out his partner who's sort of a womanizing dude he's kind of playing both sides and, he, and he's a he's a corrupt cop himself and then that conflict kind of 
leads into these kind of uh, final uh, action sequences. This really goes kind of slow at the start. Like it's it, it's not like what you see in a lot of the Plesioteskis that we've covered. This is much more on the revolver side of things, yeah. where there's a lot less action. It's much more the cat and mouse back and forth games that he's trying to play here to try to get in, into his investigation. This one, again, like you sort of mentioned, it kind of it kind of borders on the neo noir a lot more. Oh yeah, uh, no, there, there's a strong noirish element to this. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's got the it's got the kind of grittiness that you would expect in terms of the the politics of it. It's it's a uh, I mean it, it it would be a really nice uh, pairing with Revolver actually. Well, yeah, I actually I was thinking that. And I'm I'm kind of thinking that if you did pair this with Revolver, that would be basically the most depressing movie night you could possibly have. <laughs> right. <laughs> and ironically, the big racket would pair really well with uh, the other film we're going to do tonight. So mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but what are what are your sort of uh, initial uh, thoughts on this one? I really like this. It, it like Revolver, it kind of takes its time really getting to what it's really wanting to do. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, the first half, or at least the first 30 minutes or so, are kind of a little bit generic cop drama-y uh, for me. There is a subplot involving uh, the inspector's son that is meant to add pathos to this guy, but it kind of doesn't go anywhere. It feels like there might be a little bit of material on the cutting room floor there, or mm-hmm. maybe just was never shot, I don't know. But it, it feels like there's a sort of subplot there that doesn't quite go anywhere. But overall, I think it's a really interesting look at this world. I mean, it, it does, it, it compares to Revolver, and even compares favorably to Revolver in some ways. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more sophisticated in some ways than Revolver is. I really like the bad guy, sort of a the smarmy uh rich asshole who's kind of pulling everybody's strings um i really love the the way that so much of this is just out in the open i mean they're just saying you know we can't do that because you know mm-hmm. they're just open about the fact that they're just manipulating the press into doing things um yeah i really love that aspect of it i love some of the uh, violence in the film i love yeah. uh, some of the chase scenes i mean it's it's a really good balance i mean because a lot of these things kind of sound really heady and morally weighted and i think revolver maybe uh, pushes that direction a little bit too far um not too mm-hmm. far but i mean it, it kind of is pushed very much in that direction whereas this sort of alternates a really nice kind of dramatic plot and sort of thematic elements and then you know it gives you a nice little chase scene every now and then to kind of yeah. break it up a bit so so it delivers it on both levels and uh, honestly this this may be on my best of the year list oh nice um, I, I really enjoyed this. I'm not sure it's it's kind of it's wavering on that. On that, I'd have to watch it again before I could you know kind of really, you know, give my full stamp of approval on it. And there's a lot that I I feel like just because I only really got the chance to watch this once, I really want to kind of <laughs> a lot of the plot I didn't quite follow 100, mm-hmm. um, which is just sort of a problem that you run into with these things. Um, also, the subtitling of uh, the version that I watched, like there are big sections of it where it feels like there's some detail that we miss just because right. the, the subtitles literally just put question marks. <laughs> right. It was, it, I mean, the, the sub- it's like, no, the thing that you need to know to understand this is and then question marks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoever, whatever fan translated this just didn't know enough Italian apparently it was uh, pretty pretty amusing um, yeah because uh, I assume we both got our versions of this off of Rare Lust right yeah, yeah that's yeah. got it apparently there is an Italian um, release DVD of it but um, I couldn't find it like on Amazon on US Amazon or anything so yeah I think it straight up whoever runs Rare Lust actually did the subtitles for this because right. they put it in the credits there but yeah sometimes it is really hard to pick up what's going on Sometimes the the question mark is obviously it revolves around whatever sort of lists or you know like accounting lists or whatever for certain businesses and stuff. So you can you can kind of 
you can kind of get that. It's like, okay, this is this is the evidence that will criminate the criminals and get the investigation pushed forward and get a prosecution going or whatever. But other times it's like, okay. <laughs> well, th- there's there's a particular bit where um, the corrupt cop is sleeping with this girl and he's given this girl some piece of evidence that is incriminating. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out what it was because the, the person who did the translation never could name it. Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly what we're supposed to be getting. I mean, you know, again, these are the sorts of details that only matter to the degree that we're watching the film and we're trying to discuss it. Like, I don't really notice it just watching the film. It's just sort of like, oh, okay, it's fine. I don't I don't need to know what that thing is, you know. It's it's the MacGuffin, ultimately. And, the, and uh, I don't want to warn people off of watching the film because it's really good and you yeah. should definitely go check it out. But it's just, it's harder because if we're trying to kind of discuss what exactly is going on, <laughs> I feel like I need another watch or two to really, like piece it together i need to sit down with a notebook which i didn't do with this one but um. yeah this one does need a couple watches uh, i agree like i had to watch it again this morning i was glad actually that you rescheduled for us uh, to do this review because um i was like yeah i could use another pass at this like really quick and try to see if i pick up anything else because it's one of these weird ones where it's something i really really like but i can't really go into great detail about why I like it. <laughs> First of all, um, and can I just say I really appreciate actually getting to watch this in Italian without dubbing, just because dubbed films just bother the shit out of me on this. Like They just irritate me. I'd rather just watch it in the original mm-hmm. with subtitles. So I did appreciate that. That was really, really nice to, to, to kind of get that experience. And it, it does feel like it's something that's made a little bit more for the uh, domestic Italian market as opposed right. to something that um, was kind of built for export to quite the same degree to where a lot mm-hmm. of these films are really – I mean you can kind of feel like, you know, <laughs> when we get to the heroin busters, we'll definitely talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Um, but no, I, uh, one of the things I really appreciated is the fact that it, it does sort of leave me a little bit cold. It's not holding my hand through certain, um, sequences. It's just expecting me to just kind of follow along. Like for instance, uh, in in sort of reading some commentary for the film, it's supposed to be really obvious that this film is set in Genoa and I didn't get that at all because I'm not Italian in 1973, but I assume assume that like, you know, they're using these very specific shots that are um, used to establish that the film is set there. And they're trying to be saying something, not just about, you know, Italian crime or some generic like mafia movie, but they're trying Mm -hmm. to say something about this particular time and place, which I just couldn't, uh, I just didn't get and uh, didn't have the time to do the research to try to figure out what it's really trying to say. But, uh, overall, I really, I really love the portrait of the corruption in this. Yeah, uh, I mean, it reminds me a little bit of L.A. Confidential, um, mm-hmm. in that you know you've got the sort of media figures, you've got the kind of newspaper figures, you've got the police chief, and uh, you know even at the end, it's like, well, do you want me to? Do you want to fire me, or do you want me to to transfer me? And it's like, I don't know. We'd love to keep you. We just, you know, it's 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 literally like, I mean, this isn't like shadowy businessmen in, in corners, you know, and like mood lighting. This is just how business is done. This is mm-hmm. how this work is done. You know, this could have become a pretty generic kind of, you know, cop can't play by the rules, you know, kind of badass, you know, loose cannon kind of thing. What it does is it kind of takes that character, the loose cannon kind of cop, and then puts him in this world where being a loose cannon is kind of accepted, but as long as you don't go too far. Yeah. Despite the fact that the guy literally gets people killed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he I mean, he's he's a straight-laced cop for the most part, but he constantly just hits these roadblocks of just just corruption and bureaucracy and 
he finds himself continuing down a path of bending the rules and then and flat out breaking them. It's it's very much like Revolver in the sense that, yeah, the people above him still want him as a cog in the wheel, you know, and they don't have as, I guess in this movie, they just really don't have as much leverage to threaten him with as they did Oliver Reed and Revolver. Uh, right. Well, I mean, Oliver uh, Reed and Revolver gets into like deep shit immediately and then makes yeah. decisions to get himself deeper into shit, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas the, the, I mean, that, that's, that's deliberately, um, extreme, you know, mm-hmm. whereas this doesn't do, this, this is, this is really just sort of like playing this as, you know, it makes it feel realistic. Like there's right. nothing there, there's very little in this film that makes me think like, oh, well that just would never happen. You know? Yeah. Cause I, I, I kind of think like the, the subplot with, with the, uh, teenage son and, in his marriage and everything, that could have been just totally exercised from this film, and it would have made it even better. It feels like they're trying to... I mean, and again, this is where I feel like it's sort of particular place in time. It feels like these are, you know, essentially the children, you know, the grandchildren of fascism mm-hmm. like, responding to this, you know, sort of encroaching police state, and, and kind of... This is what you run into, where the mafia is bad, but the people mm-hmm. fighting the mafia are equally bad. If you're just somebody and you're just caught in the middle, right. and it's sort of like that's where our hero, our, our protagonist, is sort of in that place where he's sort of in between. He's between the rock and the hard place. Not mm-hmm. too cliche. Yeah. And his son is much more idealistic. His son is sort of like, no, we we want you to, you know, you, you stop being such a fucking fascist pig. <laughs> and, and you know, reasonably so, uh, but the the the, the cop is kind of like, well, you know, this is sort of what I have to do to sleep at night, you know. So so there there is a real tension between it's a generational uh, tension, but it's also sort of an ideological tension, or even mm-hmm. just a. I mean, I don't think that the the father is even portrayed as wanting to be this. I think he's just this is kind of what I have to do. Yeah, and it's it's a pragmatic versus ideological thing. Yeah, he's just uh, he's just a good German essentially you know yeah this is like again this is just so much like revolver where it just has that nihilistic hopelessness in the the (laughs) face of of corruption in here the corruption isn't even as large scale as it is in revolver because this just revolves around uh revolves around uh the fuck uh this is a film in a chamber revolving or no yeah no this this is this is all centered around the uh port activities in genoa like it it's, it's yeah. very much just, hey, we're going to screw the uh, food people, the you know the food manufacturers and, and distributors in in this port facility, and it's an interesting little uh, switch up on uh, what you usually see. Like you usually see mobsters, you know, controlling gambling and booze and drugs and stuff, but here it's all just food just distribution. So. Right. Well, and and not only is it it's it feels kind of small scale for for these mm-hmm. kinds of films, and and again that's where. And I think that it it's even more effective because it doesn't feel overblown. It doesn't feel like, oh, these are people who are you know making billions of dollars trading cocaine right. back and forth or something like that. No, this are they're literally like charging excess excise taxes on <laughs> you know on imported goods and uh, you know cheating inspectors and stuff. I mean you know like it's it's only just we're just a bunch of middlemen who are going to come in and like break your shit unless you pay us. I mean it really yeah. <laughs> is in that sense it's similar to the big racket although the big racket was obviously a lot more overt. It's just sort of a standard action film to a certain degree. Right. This is really trying to like ground itself in this very real time and place and I think that that's really uh, I mean I, I've kind of said it a couple of times but I think that's really the 
the real um, thing that I, I love about the film is just that it's not shot documentary style, but it might as well be. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, feels, it feels very down to earth. Like you were saying how the, the little bursts of violence and stuff in this are, like, really brutal, kind of kind of realistic. When his partner there decides to, you know, go go straight-laced and try to, try to help out, and he, he gets run over by a car for his fucking uh for his, his hands his hands yeah. get run over i mean this uh django right there i just yeah uh, i i had that i had that moment you know i mean it, it does feel like this is a film although it's it's made a, a couple of years before a couple of the other ones that we've mentioned but it does feel like it's it's like deliberately referencing that kind of thing you know yeah. that um in a sense the corrupt cop who gets his uh I mean, this is this is sort of a modern day Western in that way because mm-hmm. he's a man. I mean, he does have a name, obviously, but he, but he's he's certainly a sort of you know that figure of the sort of you know morally ambiguous uh, antihero. Yeah, that's the sort of place where that person would be in a modern society. <laughs> is yeah. you know, I'm a cop, but I'm kind of also grifting a little on the side, and I, you know, I'm I'm willing to make deals with bad guys in order to get worse guys and that sort of thing. And then you know, for <laughs> his trouble of trying to actually reform and do something that is probably the right thing to do, he gets his hands crushed and murdered. Yeah. Although, you know, at least at least for a while he gets to sport a little mustache and curly hair and uh, uh, sleep with prostitutes. So, you know, yeah, it's yeah. all that. <laughs> do you think they're all prostitutes? I, th- I kind of got the sense that some of them might have been uh, doing it for free at that point. But Yeah, I'm pretty sure because he's supposed to be a ladies' man, right? So right. it's like this guy's just... This guy's just pulling women off the street, basically, just by right. how he looks. And then it's kind of interesting. I, I'm, I, I got to see more films from from Italy, but it seems like it's almost kind of a, <clears throat> uh, maybe it's a, I don't know, cultural stereotype or something like that. But it seems like all the ladies' men, or you know, the sort of secondary guys that are a little bit more uh, loose morally, <laughs> all have like mustaches and curly hair. So I don't know if that's an Italian thing or not, but. It's the, it's the Willie Ames from Zapped character. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're uh, <laughs> I just keep referencing movies we've already done. You have to list to every they must be destroyed to get this episode. You know? That's right. Um, or just no, check the wiki. Yeah. Or just check the wiki. It's fine. No, no, there there, there really is this sense of uh, I mean, you think about like the seventies porno stash thing though. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and, I, and I think that that was just a look that, you know, that was just sort of like what the, I mean, Burton Reynolds looked at something like that around this time. Yeah. You know, so, so the, so the mustache and slightly frizzy hair thing, I think was just a, a look that was popular at the time <laughs> um, all over, not just in Italy. Yeah. But, you know, the seventies, you know, very few people got out of the seventies with their dignity in, intact. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> I really like this one. I, I, I do like that it does ground things a little bit more. It's much more interested in making it feel realistic, and I think the the action scenes are more realistic. And then that in that they're just they're short. They're really short and effective. It just, it feels like what would actually happen in real life instead of like some prolonged big chase scene and a big shootout and shit like that. You know, it's not a it's not an action film. But yeah, I don't know if I have anything else to say about it other than it's just really really good, and I'm glad we watched it because it's kind of a forgotten film yeah the only other thing i'd say is just the uh, the main title is by Bakalov. that's how i discovered yeah. the film and uh it's amazing and i'm assuming it's going to be on this podcast episode so yeah um, yeah check that out <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I really did like the score i mean it's, i don't know it's just it's it's really it's well made it's it, again difficult to talk too thematically about just because there are like big chunks of the plot that i don't quite understand yet 
right. And uh, you know, our production schedule is meant well. Sometimes you just have to dive in, but. Uh, I would I would highly recommend this one. Um, I hope that again this is one that actually does get some kind of American DVD release or North American DVD release at some point, mm-hmm. or just becomes a little bit more available because right now it is a little bit hard to come by. Um, although you can download it on Rare Lust, so yeah, I'll be providing the Rare Lust link, and I'll just mention there actually is box office info for this. Apparently, its total earnings reach somewhere in one point zero three billion euros. Which euros? I uh, maybe it's not euros. Maybe it's just probably euro. Euro, probably yeah. Leave, yeah. But that seems pretty high still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's like that's more than fifty dollars, I think. So yeah. So wow. Uh, did, go. Did, is there is there a budget? Uh, no, there because that might give us the uh, the information we need. I'm guessing the budget couldn't have been that big though. Like man. Yeah. I just uh, I was just looking at the uh, Italian Wikipedia page, which I still have open, and. Uh, it doesn't give me any of that information, so uh, yeah. too bad. Yeah, well, uh, come on, Italy, come on, Italian <laughs> Wikipedia. Get Why don't you together. give me this information in English already? Yeah. I need, I need up to date stats. I need, I need you to. <laughs> I need up, I need up to up to the microsecond information for this podcast that will go out to a hundred people for free in the language I already speak about a movie from 1973. Yeah, um, I'm just. I don't know. I don't know why we keep these people around. I, I don't either. Why don't we pay? Why don't we pay Italian Wikipedia? Uh, fuckers, <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> okay. Hold um, on. Do people actually listen to this show? Because I don't know why at this point. <laughs> I, I don't know, uh, but we do appreciate it for some we reason. W- w- whatever sort of masochists you motherfuckers are. <laughs>
Okay, we can move on now to the Heroin Busters from 1977. You want us to waltz into the courthouse dressed up like cops? You gotta be crazy. Get down! Last time I'll ever ask. I need it. I need it. We're all son of a bitches. You're all run thinking bastards you killed them. Cartagena, Hong Kong, Amsterdam. Rome, and then it is shipped to the United States. Now, if we can break the circuit, then we can clear up your country, too. The people we are dealing with are not only organized, they're probably intelligent enough to come up with a better cover than this shack. He's the one that got to the airport. Ah, and this guy must be a fat cat. You want to trade any stuff, you're going to need my okay. You understand? You understand? Newcomers bust our balls. Send me here to make a deal. Not to play at target practice. Directed by Enzo G. Castellari, written by, again, Massimo Dorita, uh, as well as Galliano Giusso, and is starring our old friend Fabio Testi as Fabio, David Hemmings from Deep Red, 
as Hamilton, who looks a lot older here, by the way, from from Deep Red. He, he aged a lot in a couple of years. Sherry Buchanan as Vera. Wolfongo Soldati as Gilo. Massimo Vanni as Massimo. Angelo Ragusa as Denim. Romano Pupo as Enforcer. Sergio Regeri as Sergio. Joshua Sinclair as Gianni. And Leonardo Scavino as Grass. And uh, I'll let you get into the uh, synopsis there, Dan. All right. Uh, this one I'm literally just stealing from uh, IMDb. And this one I don't feel bad about just because there's not as much story in this. Right. Um, but uh, this one is a cold-blooded cop, Fabio Testi, goes undercover to take down an international drug syndicate. But when Interpol agent David Hemmings joins the investigation, the case takes a deadly detour into depravity and violence. Can the two tough detectives trapped in a criminal underworld stay alive long enough to ignite a citywide massacre? Yeah, that's pretty. I much guess it. I guess that's supposed to be prevent a citywide massacre. Yeah, at night. Um, I don't. I don't think they were trying to ignite the city, but um, although, although they so. kind of did at the same yeah, time. They did. Uh, so that that was written by uh, IMDb user uh, WXJUH, and well, um, you you sucked at that. You sucked at that, dude. Like I'm just mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't call Fabio a cold blooded. Cop yeah, this. he's certainly well. I mean, he's not a detective. A, <laughs> he's not. He's not very cold blooded either. Exactly. So yeah, uh, no, no one who wears that many neckerchiefs can be all that cold blooded. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I we need to talk about this costume. I yeah. I need I we we need to do this. Yeah. The, uh, so well, I'll, I'll just let you get right into it. Give give your sort sure. of initial impression and get into that costume. I gotta <laughs> before we talk about anything else about this film, I just. This costume is amazing. <laughs> uh, so Fabio Testi wears a complete blue denim outfit. It's blue jeans with what looked to be Ugg boots several decades so- before Uggs became a thing. <laughs> with, with the heels. And one of the heels has a little heroin um, apparatus right. to the boot. And we find that in a pivotal scene. He's wearing... So blue jeans, boots with his jeans tucked in. Then he's got a blue denim like jacket that is cinched at the waist or above yeah. his waist, almost at chest level, with a red, <laughs> like pink. a red. Is it pink? I don't know. It's, it's it's some like either dark pink or light red. It looks like like a faded red sort of sort of color. Could be uh, tied at the, t- with a belt or ribbon of, of some kind, and then underneath that he's got a V neck, a dirty V neck white shirt. And then a baseball cap, mm-hmm. which is some generic Apollo mission um, baseball cap. It looks like he looks like something a, an American trucker would wear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks like it, this is the reason. First of all, I think this is an amazing costume. Yeah, <laughs> I am. But it's so obviously this is what <laughs> some Italian costume designer thought a tough American drug dealer looked like. <laughs> because he's wearing cowboy boots, but it's completely wrong. He's wearing a denim jacket, but it's completely wrong. Oh, and I mean, he's got stubble. He's got like that pre- very precise amount of stubble, and then an Apollo hat. Like this is this is how we code him as definitely American. Is he's got the 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 Apollo hat? Right. No, but I mean, okay. So so tell me this: the first time you watched this, the opening scene is him walking through the city at night. Did you not immediately think he was like? Uh, uh, just basically a gay gigolo. 
<laughs> Honestly, I don't even think I processed it on that level. You know, <laughs> sort of, I, it wasn't until I had been watching the film for a while, and the reason that it's the reason I go into that much detail is just because he wears it through the entire movie. Yeah. And honestly, like Fabio Testi is amazing in this. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, lo- I love both him and uh, David Hemmings in this, by the way. Yeah. But um, you know, when he takes off that fucking denim jacket and he's just kind of standing, like he's kind of standing laconic in corners and things, you know, and he's kind of like, oh yeah, you look that that is a nice looking man right there. Like yeah. I am, I am definitely on board with this. You know, I, I'm, I feel, I feel attracted to Fabio Testi here. <laughs> oh, and also he's got a. Some kind of like beaded necklace, like a like a chain. Right. That's um, some kind of like it looks. So they're coding him as like a hippie as well. So it's it's yeah. just, it's just fascinating mishmash of stuff. Um, but he wears this through the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's wear it's like a you know it's it's like his uniform that he wears every day. It's like a fascinating look, and I just I I just I you can't talk about the film without talking about how he looks in it because you're gonna see him a lot in this, the and only, it just gets more ridiculous the longer you stare at it. The only time he doesn't wear that, he he, cha- he changes into something that's even more seventies in in a lot of ways. He he's got this goddamn <laughs> this corduroy trench coat <laughs> right <laughs> with, with with a neckerchief nowhere other than the 70s do you see a fucking corduroy trench coat that's just <laughs> that's amazing yeah no it's 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 very um it's very you know again the 70s nobody got out with their dignity intact no. and uh, you know fabio testi does a pretty damn good job of pulling it off i'm not gonna say he doesn't but my god yeah the film itself is pretty much just exactly what that costume would make you think the film is, <laughs> honestly. There's a lot of really kind of cool action in it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, you know, this is the sort of thing that, you know, I like to say would be <laughs> would be the kind of movie playing in a bar in a better movie, you know? Right. <laughs> um, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of... Um, you know, chase sequences, a lot of uh, kind of fairly standard, but well, well executed. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. dismiss it. Fairly standard kind of 70s action sequences. There's a, a lot of um, kind of tough guy talk. And uh, it's basically just a 70s cop film, almost. You know, it, this feels like something that's a little bit, I mean, it's significantly more gritty than this, but it, it feels like something that could be like 70s cop show in America. You know, like if you just ran three episodes together, it was sort of like has a, a sort of a similar look and feel to that. You know what I, I thought this sort of felt like? It felt like a precursor to uh, actually '80s like action cop films. Yep. Like it, it, it felt it felt very much like something like Black Rain or something along those yeah. lines. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, it very. I think particularly because of the the, the strength of the drug angle and the mm-hmm. fact that um, we do get one one thing. We I guess we'll have to talk about is the. Uh, kind of extended sequence in the middle where uh, we're basically just following drug addicts being yeah. drug addicts. <laughs> That's definitely something that feels very much more of the 80s than the 70s to me. Mm-hmm. Also, just the scale of the film. I mean, again, it was interesting to kind of see the police serve the citizens after this, just because then you're going back to, um, you know, kind of more, uh, you know, import-export duties and port authority and all that. Whereas, you know, how many fucking, uh, like, every crime movie in the 80s and 90s was basically about drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And usually this, like, international syndicate who's, who's shipping things around and you got to get the guy on the inside and... And, uh, you know, th- this is a fairly standard plot, but I-, I wonder if it was a little bit more, if it felt a little bit more innovative in 73 or 70, whatever, 77 when this I was think it, I think it does because this is like really, this is really fast paced and it's, it's kind of like really visually interesting too, just because it has so many 
different locations that they shot. Like, I mean, it, I, I believe New York, Rome, I think maybe Hong Kong at one point. Mm -hmm. And so, so they're jumping all over the world here with this. So they got a bunch of nice locations. There's obviously some money behind this one. Yeah. Um, and I it's, think it's, it's well made. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss the film. It is yeah. well made, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think this is probably, it's essentially the big racket with money behind it, like more beefed up because it's, it's slicker. It, I mean, production wise, it just looks really great. And it's kind of a big comic book kind of thing, right? It, it, yeah. The... Yeah. It's, it's, it's that, it's that broad. It's, it's, it's got that kind of, uh, especially the biplane or the, uh, the, the two planes in the, in the end. <laughs> that definitely feels like it came out of an eighties movie. Yeah. I mean, this, this one sort of just whittles down the characters to uh, their base. Like I think there's even more character depth in the big racket than you find in this one for the most part. This one is more, seems more interested in being a, an anti-drug commercial <laughs> than it does giving you strong characters. And uh, so, I mean, you get these like really close ups of uh, people sticking needles in themselves and, Oh, I have a question is there's the scene where, Fabio is in the stairwell with uh, the druggy guy that he that he sort of yep. hooks up with. Um, was that meant to be a cut to what was actually going up in the on in the apartment, or is that the druggy guy having some sort of hallucination fantasy scene? I think somebody cut in a Jess Franco film for thirty seconds. I think that's what was actually going on no. because it, because it's just it's just testing. So, so just... let me let me tell you how I approached that scene. By the way, because this is funny. Um, so I was watching, you know, I was watching the film, and a lot of times with these, I'll, I'll kind of watch the first half and then kind of watch the second half the next day or something. You know, it's just kind of. So I was like, I got to go to bed. So I literally he gets into the hallway. He gets into that stairway, and I'm like, all right, I can, I can, you know, there's like, hey, you mind if we talk for a second? Okay. I hit stop. I kind of come back the next day. I sit down to it. I hit play, and suddenly there are, like, naked women on my screen. And I thought, yeah. did I hit the right movie? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had to go back and, like, rewatch the, like, did I miss something? Was I, like, what what the fuck happened here? Yeah. Um. So I went back and, like, rewound it, like, five minutes. I'm like, no, no, it really is that, like... <laughs> You know, there's no lead up to this whatsoever. Watching that scene, I think that we're meant to take it as sort of indicative of what the drug addict guy thinks is going on upstairs. Uh, okay. I think it's pretty realistic in terms of um, obviously she's sleeping with her for money. So, so yeah. basically, there's a girl-girl sex scene, which, by the way, it's a girl-girl sex scene to the degree that the way that women have sex with each other is always where one of them will sit completely motionless and then the other will drape her hair over her. Right. Um, that actually is how women have sex with each other. I've witnessed this, you know, in person. Mm -hmm. They certainly don't do anything more than that. Like that's no. just, that's just how it works. Um, <laughs> my wife was watching that with me and she's like, yeah, that's how straight girls fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's a little straight girls. Fine. Yeah. It was, it was pretty amusing, but um, no. So, so there is this moment and, uh, Obviously, I, I think that we're supposed to read that as because the blonde is a little bit older, and I think she's like just paying the other girl for sex, right? And they've just kind of kicked the dude out onto the stairwell to because he's just not allowed in. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I mean, essentially, this is like look at the depths that we have to go to to get drug money, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like which doesn't really seem that bad to me, but you know, whatever yeah. <laughs> compared to the other sequences of people like licking. Um, 
heroin off spoons that have been in the toilet. Yeah, con- sort of thing, considering you know? some of the stuff that goes on here, they're getting off pretty easy for like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's supposed to be he's supposed to be like being emasculated or whatever. I I don't know. It just it it strikes me as a it's a little bit of a tonal mismatch. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm not. It, it's a pretty well done scene. I don't know. I kind of think of it like the sequences of Nicole Kidman kind of uh, fucking the guy who's military officer fantasy in Tom Cruise's head and eyes wide shut. Oh, yeah. And that it's this sort of, this is the, like, emasculating figure of what (laughs) this sex is because he's not allowed to just see it. He has to kind of sit outside and wait for it. And so it's just this fantasy version, you know, in his head. Like, that's what he thinks is going on, which, you know, in the the broad picture, I think, yeah, they're – Clearly, she's having sex for money, but I I don't think it looks like that. You know? <laughs> it's, they sh- it's too soft focus for one thing. You know. <laughs> yeah. What what they should have done is they should have okay. So you have the original sort of fantasy thing going on in the druggie's head, and then once the once they finish and the woman comes downstairs, then they should have just really amped up. Hey, we need some more tits in this movie. Then then we get Fabio Testi standing in the stairwell for five minutes, thinking, oh, this is what happened. And we, get, <laughs> we get another we get another scene. <laughs> and his version is way more <laughs> yeah way more like americanized you know like suddenly they're wearing cowboy hats <laughs> <laughs> they're wearing cowboy hats <laughs> because you know it's an italian movie with an american <laughs> so it has to be you know and of course david hemmings is like you know the ultimate brit in this movie as well right oh oh yeah yeah and if david hemmings was in that staircase what it would have been is would have, <laughs> would have been the two women running around having their clothes ripped off and running around in their underwear really quickly with ben with benny, and benny hill yeah and then they and then they drink tea afterwards exactly <laughs> because british people don't like to have sex so yeah no they, they they that's how that's how british people have sex they, oh don't you? you know that's oh. they, they tea is not just code for sex it's actually biologically how british people fuck oh wow yeah no you didn't know that no i didn't know that Damn. wow no i i guess i've just yeah. i've just i'm more experienced than you lee i'm, I'm sorry you know? next time i next time i talk to either james jack or kit i'm gonna have to ask them some questions Holy yeah fuck. you'll you'll have to you'll have to uh we'll have to bring them on and just kind of ask so like how does the t penis interaction work yeah like, you know well I, I never quite got that is that where the term teabagging comes from what the fuck is going on <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> This is the most fun episode ever, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I I actually really like the um the stairwell sequence. I thought that was and I and I again, just just to talk about Fabio Testi, he's amazing in the whole film, but it's right. really cuz the drug addict who looks a little bit like the rock star from uh, Revolver. Yes. I um, mean, he's yeah. got the same kind of like like David Cassidy, like Italian David Cassidy, the little bit more facial hair thing going on. Mhm. You know, he's kind of sitting there, and it's like, hey, man, can you talk for a minute? And then Fabio Test is like, yeah, sure, no problem. And he just kind of leans up against the... I mean, he's got this just super cool attitude towards him throughout the entire... Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds like I'm damning it with faint praise, you know. But he's really compelling in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's... I, I really admired his acting, especially after seeing him in something like Revolver, right. where he's got such a different kind of, you know, much more skittish kind of role. I mean, he this is a guy with some range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it like just watching more and more of uh, Testy's films. It, it just feels like it's a kind of shame that he's not a bigger star than than what he yep. turned out to be, right? Because right. he he really is 
again, that, that sort of comparison I was making of uh, Franco Nero and Fabio Testi is kind of like George Clooney and Brad Pitt, where they don't get taken as seriously because they're just such, they're so fucking beautiful, you know? It's like, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's just weird. It's just weird to, to see that he didn't become a bigger star, but. Uh, hey, I don't know. well, you know, when, when uh, and again, there was a, a friend of mine that I who was watching The Big Racket. She had come over. And I I had to watch it for the podcast, and she was like giggling, like <laughs> his name is Fabulous Testies, like, yeah. yeah, pretty much. And you see him in those skinny jeans, and you know why? <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about the uh, the prison sequence, maybe the uh, the jail sequence. Man, that's uh, you, you got to give it credit. This is the same guy who who kind of ends up. We kind of follow him around through a, a third of the film because he becomes the sort of end. Because the, the whole plot is basically built around. Uh, David Hemmings is an Interpol agent who's trying to uh, work in Italy to prevent this drug syndicate from shipping drugs all over the world. So they're, just, they're trying to you know, clamp down on heroin. And uh, they're going to do this in, in Italy because it's like the center of the drug trafficking ring, whatever. Yeah. They capture Fabio Testi like bringing drugs in. And then they essentially turn him and they're like, well, you're going to be an informant for us. And it sort of becomes the departed for a little bit. Or it mm-hmm. could have become sort of a sort of a knockoff version, although it, forty years too early. But you know, it, it sort of gets that sort of uh, general police informant. But then it kind of moves in a different direction because you know Fabio Testi ends up in prison for a while, and then he's sort of like trying to infiltrate this underworld, this local underworld, and then he sort of is having to play both sides against each other. And we're not quite sure where his loyalties lie all the time. And I think even at the end, I think it's, it's questionable. Although I think the film is, the film kind of gives us an answer, but I don't know that it's a very <laughs> sophisticated answer, if that makes sense. But, uh, he does end up in this prison cell with this guy who is lacking heroin. He, he needs a fix. He needs his fix. He, he's jonesing. Not only does he, he puke, you know, sort of, sort of, you, you just see, um, it's a pretty horrifying sequence. It's a pretty harrowing sequence is, is kind of what I'm going for, for this kind of film. Because you don't really expect quite this level of bodily fluid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he does, like, hock up a loogie, and then you get this kind of green stuff kind of on the concrete floor. And then he pisses himself on screen. Right. You know, it's way over the top, first of all, right? But, uh, I mean, this guy does not look that bad off for, for lacking heroin. But it's also really mesmerizing that they that they went to that degree. Did you not... Okay, did you not catch that Fed Battesti actually is an Italian policeman undercover? Oh, is he undercover? Yeah. The, the, I, thought he was, I thought he was an informant. No, he, he's actually an undercover policeman. I see. But, okay. hey, that's that's actually cool, though, because the film definitely tries to kind of keep that in the dark for the first like opening of the film, you know, where you could just kind of think, yeah, he's a drug guy. He gets turned or whatever, but no, actually he is, he is an undercover uh, policeman. Cause as, as the film goes on, you, you see like the scenes between him and uh, Hemmings where it's like, it's obvious they know each other and they've worked together before. Yeah. I was thinking that was just like, they were kind of gaining familiar or had, there was a cat and mouse game kind of that was happening through that. Mm. Like I, I, that's how I read it. So, no, I completely missed that. Apparently, I'm just not watching films anymore. I'm just kind of <laughs> glancing at them. 
Um, because that's a that's a pertinent detail. Yeah. Like I thought the whole thing is, you know, like at first, like like towards the end, I thought the whole thing is like he's trying to get away while you know helping them catch this other bad guy, and then he's in the plane, and it's like, yeah, we caught the bad guys, right? And it's like, well, who's the bad guys? Well, we're the you know, like I thought I thought it was trying to uh, make some a little bit more sophisticated moral point, but if he's been an undercover cop the whole time, it's like. Well, that was a pointless little exchange, now wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that I was going to say that ending exchange is just it shows you why most of these Italian films tend to end right after the last big action scene, you know, instead of giving you some dialogue afterwards, because it usually it's pretty bad. This is like how we wrap this film up. Uh, let's make up some bullshit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, this film is like really. And when when it does get into the drug stuff and the drug users, it's like, look how it, it feels like modern version of Reefer Madness to a certain degree. Like it's just because it kind of it's kind of naive about drug use. Like the, it seems like it puts forward kind of that idea of you know uh, a couple puffs on uh, on a, one of those marijuana cigarettes, and uh, eventually you'll be doing heroin. <laughs> right. I mean, it does do the slippery slope kind of thing, and this is I mean, this is something that we kind of run into. I guess this is the sort of thing that we run into over and over again as we discuss these sorts of crime films and these, particularly ones that have heavy police involvement. Mm-hmm. Because essentially, if you're a film production company, you want the cops to be nice to you. you yeah. Know? And so you tend to make films that sort of portray them in a positive light. And so that's why, you know, cops always get to be heroes unless, you know, it, there's basically always like a, a one hero cop mm-hmm. um, who's like against the system, who's doing things the right way. And yet you never get this sort of sense that, like, the whole, like, idea of the kind of policing we're doing is just fundamentally flawed. And yeah. so it's particularly when you have, um, you know, sort of drug interdictions, it always has to be, look at how, it's like we have to rub the audience's nose and how terrible heroin is in order to justify the stuff that we're doing in the rest of the film, you know? Right. And I mean, it is it is sort of an interesting exercise in all of these kinds of films to just flip it on its head and say, "What if the druggies were the good guys here?" You know, <laughs> can we kind of interpret it through that through that lens? No. Well, there was even that sort of. I think you mentioned when we did uh, the big racket, there was kind of that element to the baddies in that, where that you were saying they're uh, the, no, these are the counterculture guys who are rebelling against the corrupt system or whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think Police Services Citizens is trying to do that a little bit more. I mean, there's very little political angle to heroin busters at all. Right. And this is especially, especially, God, I can't believe I missed that detail. I, you know. No, I mean, uh, honestly, I didn't, I didn't catch that the first time I watched it either. So, I mean. Yeah, I I mean, you know, I I thought, I thought they, they just turned him as an informant. So, you know, that's, that's completely, um, no, knowing that he's supposed to be this undercover narcotics off, you know, officer from the beginning, you know, it kind of takes any sense of questioning the morality of these guys' actions out of the loop, you know, I I think probably one of yours as well, um, but. Probably one of the best sequences in the film is this uh, heist sequence. It, it goes through this mm-hmm. thing for, for about five or for about five ten minutes. It becomes a heist movie. Fabio Testi has to kind of go in. He basically is sneaking drugs out from under the cops' noses. Yeah, <laughs> which actually ends up like a dude gets killed during that during that process. You know, it, it, you know, a cop gets killed while this stuff is being stolen. And uh, I thought that that was, you know, if Testy is just an informant and uh, his role in this is being covered up by Hemmings, it's sort of an indictment of Hemmings' character and that, you know, he kind of lets this happen and uh, is kind of, again, not playing by the rules. He's mm-hmm. kind of going outside the law and all that sort of thing. If Testy is himself a police officer, that it becomes a little bit 
more um, blunted because it's not you know you haven't gone in league with this guy who is um, part of the criminal under the very underworld you're trying to stop. It's just another cop, and then like okay things went things went wrong. You know what I mean? I don't I don't remember an actual cop being killed in that sequence. I remember Testy is being escorted <laughs> by two guys who are not cops. They're just in, right. in disguise, yeah, and one of them yeah. gets shot and killed, and then he runs out into the parking lot with the other one. And I thought then... that that guy, the first guy, because there's a guy who gets shot in the police station, mm-hmm. who's one of the two guys. I thought that guy had a gun in his uh, shoe and he kills a guy while he's trying to escape. Like before he's shot, he manages to shoot somebody. Mm, I can't remember because I, I know I know Testy immediately goes after uh, one of the guys who's with him when he tries to pull a gun when they're doing the heist. When he tries to shoot one of the one of the guy, one of the cops right, who actually resists. Right. Because he's like, you know, and he, he still tries to play it off as don't don't fucking fire your gun here because they'll hear us. You know, we got to get out of here. And then when they get into the parking garage, he he ends up shooting the other guy before he uh, kills that cop. Like he, he shoots the cop once in the leg or whatever. Right. And then then Testy ends up having to kill that guy before he murders the cop. Right. Yeah, no, I was thinking there was one, I, I might just be um, completely mistaken, because I only watched it once, but I was thinking there was there was an actual cop who was killed in that sequence, but I might have just been confused. So Yeah, uh, I don't know, I'm going to have to, re- I mean, this is a movie I'm going to rewatch plenty of sure. times in my life anyway, so I'll have to go back and see, but... Um, Do you own this one? Oh yeah, I own this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, streaming on Amazon Prime right now, so... Yeah, but yeah, I I really like this. I like all the action stuff because it it's just fun. Like it's just inventive. I mean, there's the part where basically also I'll just just set it out for people listening. The the last third of this film is just one big chase scene basically. Oh yeah. Oh and, yeah. And it's you know, it's it's Fabio Testi gets discovered as being an undercover cop and now he's on the run from the fucking uh, gang of drug dealers. So they're all chasing him. Uh not only like just the regular thugs, but the but the fucking scientists they got like the chemists they got. <laughs> dude, that is the greatest chemistry lab in cinema history, by the way. It's 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 awesome. It's in a warehouse, and then there are walls built around it to hide it, and the walls are basically just the boxes that they're storing the drugs in, right. as well as like big stacks of you know unassembled boxes as well. Those are the right. walls of the drug lab, which seems they, kind of dangerous. Actually, that seems highly flammable. I yeah, would... yeah, no, I say, I, well, I don't know exactly. I mean, they're, I mean, it's heroin, so I mean, they're just purifying from the plant. I'm not sure exactly what they're supposed to be doing there. Yeah, I don't know. You know, that I mean, it seems like that's what's being done in like Afghanistan or wherever the heroin's actually coming from. Right, right. Um, maybe they're just doing like testing on it or something in which case it's i mean god that's even no i just i i because because i'm a you know my day job i'm a chemist my day i work in a lab you know i'm always i'm always laughing at like nobody has any safety goggles nobody's wearing gloves you know <laughs> you know they're scientists because they're wearing like lab coats that aren't even the right kind of lab coats so it's fine right. you know? <laughs> no, nobody knew what personal protective equipment was in the 70s you know <laughs> we didn't we didn't invent that concept until after reagan was president that's <laughs> but I love it because the, the chase scene's got all this kind of inventive stuff going on. Like, there's, there's the one scene where he shoots through a metal pipe to kill one of oh. the guys coming at him. Yeah, no, that was great. Uh, reminded me of uh, what was the one of the um, Lee Van Cleef movies with the um, the two. Uh, oh yeah, it was one of the Sabato ones. Wasn't one it? of the Sabato films. You know, he he. The, it reminded me of that just slightly. Um, sorry, just referencing old episodes. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, there there was that was a really nifty little moment, and I I kind of thought. <laughs> 
just because I thought they were going to go for this a little bit more comedic thing. I, mm-hmm. Like, he found, he shoots one guy through the pipe, and then I thought he was going to, like, find a different pipe and shoot a second. <laughs> <laughs> because he shoots one guy, and then you get a shot of the next guy, you know, and he kind of he comes running, and I thought, there was a shot, I, I thought for a second he was going to, like, find a second pipe and shoot through it again. Right. <laughs> um, this is this is my favorite gag in it, where he, he gets a hold of one of the bad guys, and he chokes him out, and basically mm-hmm. his gun is, you know, in view of uh, of where, where, the, where the bad guys can shoot him if he sticks his head out from around the wall. So mm-hmm. what he does is he chokes the bad guy out and then throws his body down on top of the gun and then uses his body to drag the gun to him so he can <laughs> use it. I love that. No, that's a, that's a nifty little moment. I, I like that a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, of course, we can't talk about this film without talking about the, the main bad guy who looks a little bit like David Arquette. Um, in kind of a, kind of a good way. Yeah, he's well. Yeah, he's uh, he was also the main bad guy in uh, uh, Big Racket as well. Oh yeah, I, I thought he did look familiar. So yeah, yeah, he he's really good here. I really like. Uh, really, he's always smiling. That's always mm-hmm. fun. You know, he's just smiling through the whole thing. Um, yeah, he's, and, he's uh, always got a cigarette holder going there. Yep, yep. No, he's he, it's it's a nice little performance there, and just uh, you know, you know, this is this is a film filled with pretty boys, basically. Mm-hmm. You know? Even even David Hemmings, who I think is uh, is really great here. You know, you're right. He does. I, I can't tell if he's actually that much older or if he's just sort of made up to be older. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, he he, he definitely just does look like. He looked like a thirty-something guy in in Deep Red, and here he looks like he's you know mid forties, and then it wasn't that many years between the two films. So. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm gonna look up right now. He was born in 1941, so he would have been. Oh, yeah, maybe he was made up to make look you know older. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I think they just gave him some. Uh... I think they just put a little gray in his hair, and I think that, that makes a big difference. But he, but he does sell it though. I mean, he he does yeah. look like the professional Interpol agent, like totally believable. Yeah, I think if he had the, he's got such a boyish look to him, and mm-hmm. I think also because he's British, you know, just sort of like they, I think the filmmakers just decided, okay, let's let's age him up just a little bit to sort of um, give him that little bit of gravitas. Right. Um, but I think he's phenomenal in the film, and I think right. um, one of the things that I admire is also the the stunt work, because mm-hmm. uh, Testy I think definitely did all his own stunts, and I think Hemming did some of his own as well. Yeah, Testy obviously did. A lot of his stuff, because just him being a stuntman anyway, he always sort of did his stuff. But um, yeah, Testy was also a licensed pilot, so he did all of his aerial stunts as well. So right, that was another question I had when I thought that he was just some like drug mule. I'm like, and so that he can fly a plane, like exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, maybe maybe uh, you know served in Vietnam. I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do like though. Like, He's supposed uh, to be an American, so that would sort of make sense. You know, he was a Vietnam vet. You know, he shows up. Right, right. I, I do like how, um, even though, like, the, the stunt work and stuff is really good, the fight scenes are still those really hackneyed Italian fight scenes where everyone's doing karate chops and shit. There's that one scene where they uh, they take down the, the druggy guy that uh, Testy befriends or whatever, mm-hmm. where, where, you know, he's out trying to sell. And all these cops just jump him. They're all throwing karate chops down on, his, on the back of his neck. Like, they're... <laughs> <laughs> it just looks fucking ridiculous. Was it was it this film or was it the other one where there's a fight scene in a restaurant? I think that was Big Racket, wasn't it? No, well, I, there was there was one in Big Racket, but I, I anyway, there's there's a fight scene. There was definitely or maybe it's in a bar. Um, but I remember there was definitely one fight scene where it was just shot. Uh, it was very obvious that there was 
you know, three feet of space between the fist and the face right. in, in one shot, which, you know, I, I, I'm very forgiving towards film for that, you know, particularly mm-hmm. kind of fairly low budget stuff. If the new Avengers movie has that kind of shit in it, then I'm going to be critical of it. But, you know, <laughs> when it's made for $4 in 1977, you know, okay, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to complain too much about that. Right. But uh, there was definitely one, I can't, I think it was in the Harrow and Busters, but there's one shot where, you know, it's like, well, clearly that was a stage punch. There's no question that didn't look realistic <laughs> at all. <laughs> um it's also interesting how they uh they stick like comedy in this as well like there's these mm-hmm. little comedy moments especially in the the final chase they felt like they needed to punctuate it with a little bit of comedy apparently to uh <laughs> to let off some steam where they just run into this small little town and there's this little you know this little small town drama thing going on with a bunch of locals and uh i think it's what a train station or something like that right right and they're there's having their usual day and then all of a sudden fabio testi comes bursting in and everyone's like shocked and and then the drug dealers are soon soon behind them and and everyone's all upset now their entire day's ruined because these people walked into their lives <laughs> right uh, there's <clears throat> a, there's a scene where david hemming has to uh well, not quite commandeer, but uh, get a get a ride on a motorcycle, and he ends up having to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wrote I wrote my notes here: motorcycle with airbags. That, that was my note for that. <laughs> I love that moment where he's sitting there and he's uh he's got to grab hold of the girl, and then like he feels her up, like he's trying not to. She's like, "Oh no, go ahead, it's fine." And she's yeah. got a little smile. It's like, yeah. David Hemmings is going to get late at the end of this. That's <laughs> yeah, he got her number definitely. Yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty obvious that she's like, yeah, I look, this guy's cute, sure. Yeah, you know, um, and and I mean, in, in so many of these kinds of films, this is what I kind of love about that moment is just that um, in so many of these films, you know, that would come across as a little bit creepy. Yeah, but um, I think the the actors in 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 that moment just do play it in the sense of where he's like legitimately doesn't want it, but he needs to hold on. Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, go ahead, it's fine." Yeah, you know? and she she's you know she's into it, and um, you know the the performances sometimes will will kind of sell a moment that might be a little bit cringy otherwise. But I I didn't get a cringe from that. I just got a like, "Oh, it's Italy. Everybody's kind of fucking each other in Italy, right?" Like it's yeah, fine. yeah, those Italians. <laughs> yeah. Um. um yeah, I love I love the like the prostitutes in uh, both of these movies, but particularly mm-hmm. uh, the one then. Uh, sorry to go back to the uh, police of the citizens. There's that first prostitute that he interviews. Mm-hmm. She's got the bigger hair. I kind of I kind of love that character. No, these are both. These are. I mean, this is this is just a really good era for Italian cinema. Yeah, it's just fun, and particularly the Heron Busters is is a lot of um, just kind of goofy fun. Oh, I, I, sh- I should. Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously either. Uh, I should also mention uh, the. Uh... <laughs> The homing device they use in this film looks a lot more phony than the one they use in White Heat. I'm just it, saying. No, it does. It, it kind of looks like a like a Gallagher cabinet, you know, just a right. little bit, um, <laughs> or like a like a, a Simon Says or something. You know, it's very yeah, it's very built around them. Um, I kept watching this. I just kept thinking this kind of feels like a like John Pertwee episode. Right. Like I feel like at any moment John Pertwee's gonna come around the corner and and uh, you know <laughs> gonna come around in his fucking car and in, in the in the fucking uh, Hummobile and yeah. <laughs> Katie Manning's gonna be standing there and it's gonna be like come on Doctor we have to go get the heroin you know? <laughs> and uh, so so the little uh, like goofy tracker I mean I definitely was thinking about White Heat um, yeah in fact that was a moment again my wife kind of watched watched a lot of this with me 
and uh, <laughs> she didn't watch White Heat with me, and so uh, she's like, "What the fuck is that? Like, what is, is that supposed to be? Is that supposed to be a homing de- a beacon or some kind of detector?" I'm like, "Yeah, you didn't see White Heat." Yeah, <laughs> so, um, yeah. I kind of do want to do like a side by side comparison of those, you know, just because we watched them side by side. It's it's a you know um, aging tech in uh, cop movies is always. Right. But yeah, the, I got nothing else to really say about this. I just really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It was Castellari's last crime film of the 70s. And mm-hmm. uh, I think he goes out with a pretty effective bang on this one. It's it's just a lot of fun throughout it. Like it never, it's never slow. It's never boring. So uh, yeah. it works. It's it's a it's a weird pairing of the two films just because mm-hmm. Police of the Citizens is very like dark and very gritty and realistic whereas the Heroin Busters is I mean again the the political side of this I mean it just doesn't exist and no. I, I think that's it's it's almost because this is fairly late in the genre and I think that there is a sense in which like let's just do the fun version for once you know yeah. like, let's let's not let's not have to worry about a a kind of deeper message. Um, we, we've had enough which, Italian films complaining about government corruption the last right. the 20 years we've been doing them. So, you know, yeah, which, which again makes it feel more eighties, you know, because the eighties kind of, you know, I mean, we're leading into the Miami vice era at this point, right. which had no like political subject. I mean, the political subtext was always, I mean, there's never not a political subtext, but it's always like the status quo is great. Drugs are bad. Don't do them. That's essentially what this movie is. Miami Vice had an episode with like alien abduction or something in it as well. And it was played, played up straight. Like Miami Vice has no real legs to stand on for anything for the most part. That's fair. I, I, I have not watched any Miami Vice in 20 years, and I didn't watch that much before that. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of grant your superior knowledge on that. But uh, it does, I mean, it, the Heroin Busters is one that I would definitely approach just as sort of a fun sit with friends and have a beer with, you know, sort of, sort right. of movie. You know, it feels like a, a much kind of goofier portrait of this stuff. And uh, even when it's, uh, even when it, when it has the sort of more harrowing moments, it's still going to be something that you're basically going to be, you know, entertained by. So, uh, yeah, I actually like talking about it more than I like watching it, if that makes sense, you know. <laughs> it's more fun sitting and uh, talking to, with Lee about it, but, I mean, it's got it's got a lot of fun stuff. There's a lot of ridiculous stuff. It's about 90 minutes long. It's worth a watch. It's definitely yeah. worth a watch. Uh, fun rock soundtrack from Goblin, too, by the way. You know, yep. a little, little different from the stuff they were doing in this era, so... Uh... It's always nice to hear a, a Goblin do something a little different for a soundtrack. You can get this on DVD for, from Blue Underground. Uh, that's the copy I have. It was released in 2006, and this is on the uh, Full Moon streaming service yep. as well. Yeah. Yep. If you're an Amazon member and you uh, pay the extra few bucks a month, you can watch this as much as you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's a good print. It looked it looked really nice. Um, I didn't have any any complaints about it. Yeah, the Blue Underground they they fucking <clears throat> took some special care in all these police uh, Plisiote- and stuff that they uh, released in the mid two thousands. So uh, uh, you if if you get the Blue Underground uh, DVD or the the streaming, uh, they're gonna look good. So uh, yeah. no no worries there. Okay, uh, I think we can uh, move on to end the show here. Daniel, tell people where they can find you. Best place to find me is to just go and check me out on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. And uh, anything that I manage to do, any productive work, any uh, creative stuff that I do, will just go up there. So follow me. Say hi. Yeah. We'll be friends. It's great. Yeah. And you can find us, of course, at tmbdos.podbean.com for our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. Please join our Facebook group. It's the best way to get in contact with us, to you know have your comments and questions read on the air and responded to, and uh, just to find out what's going on with the podcast in general. And 
The next episode is going to be Thief and the Asphalt Jungle. Uh, might be two weeks from now because I don't think my schedule is going to permit us to record for next week. So uh, might be a little break in there between for, for you guys. So all right, well maybe we'll, maybe we'll do an intermission episode or something. But yeah, maybe. Whenever whenever I try to promise one, I never actually deliver. So that's kind of the that's why I say maybe. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll try to get something for you. It'll be fun. Just, just go listen to uh, Wrong with Authority four again, because yep. I know everybody already listened to that once. Yeah, so go listen, go download that again, because we put a lot of work into that one, and uh, <laughs> somebody should have to suffer through that as much as I did. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but until next time, thank you, Daniel, for joining me, and thank you all for listening. Thanks Bye-bye. a lot. Cheers. Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For past episodes and links to our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook group, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find links to other podcasts and websites of similar interest. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star rating and a review. Please join our Facebook group, as it's the single best place to get in contact with the hosts and to know what's coming up on the podcast. Thank you. Drive through.